in such a way that every single person would have a personal encounter with you. Now that we wouldn't just fill up time here, but as your word is brought forth, Holy Spirit, make it alive. Reveal it to the hearts in only a way that you can to take it and to apply it to situations of life, for people's marriages, their situations, their relationships, their jobs, day to day. We might come to know you better, not just know about you, but know you. So I pray for through the word that is alive, through the spirit of God, each one would have a personal encounter with you today that will leave encouraged that you are who you said you are, that you want to invade our life. You want to be the master of our life and in that be the very master of our destiny and the destination that we end up in that you desire to fill us with the fullness of who you are, that we might go out from here and fill our sphere of influence with the fullness of God. We thank you today that your name, Jesus, is a strong tower, that we the righteous run unto it and we are glad because the strength of that tower of the name of Jesus is everything that you've done, everything that you've accomplished, everything that you are, everything that you have, Everything that you ever will be is encompassed in that name. So we run unto it. And there's healing in that name. There's deliverance in that name. There's freedom and wholeness in that name. And there's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved, healed, delivered, set free, made whole, and prospered. Only the name of Jesus. So we thank you for that name. We thank you. It's forever settled. It's a name that is above every name, Jesus. We're so grateful. We're so thankful. Father, I declare and thank you this day. There's a healing flow rising, even from this place, bubbling and arising once again, a healing flow. I thank you, Lord, a healing flow begins to bring restoration and wholeness and healing. I thank you, Lord, I declare right now over this congregation the 91st Psalm, that no sickness, no plague will come near our dwelling place. In the name of Jesus, we join together and agree that the power of that covenant and the blood that was shed as we abide under the shadow of the Almighty, that you take that place and no sickness, no plague can come near our dwelling place. That enemy, every enemy that would rise up against us one way would end up fleeing seven ways. I thank you, Lord, for this morning. You're so faithful. We thank you for everything that will be accomplished in every heart, every life, by your word and by your spirit. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good morning, church. How are you this morning? It is an awesome day that we get to live in. This generation is really unique amongst generations of the world, so we get to be here for such a time as this. We get to be lights in the midst of darkness. We get to stand in the midst of shaking. We get to be everything that Jesus poured out his blood for his church to be. Amen. And so we're not just filling time. We are uh, filled with the fullness of God. You can, we can see we're just filling time, or we can know that we're filled so that we can fill things. Amen. Praise the Lord Jesus. Glory to God. Well, I was, uh, I was hearing about this guy. He was filling out all of his, uh, you know, uh, stuff for the end of life. He's doing his will, all that stuff at the end of life. 
And uh, so, you know, he checked the box. He wanted to be cremated instead of buried. One of his kids said, well, why do you want to be cremated instead of buried? He said, well, I figure that's my only chance at a smoking hot body. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Praise the Lord. Well, say this. The life of God dwells in me. Therefore, I have victory in every situation, under every circumstance, and in every place. And my victory releases a fragrance of the knowledge of God everywhere I go. You can be seated. Praise the Lord. Well, as I said, thanks for coming out today. I believe God has some things for us. And I want to remind you, uh, tomorrow night, Monday night, 7 o'clock, we're going to be uh, together again, corporate prayer. And so I encourage you to come out. We're, we're just praying uh, for all that's going on uh, in, in our nation, in the world, uh, what God wants to do in the church. And so uh, we have the privilege to pray, and so we want to take advantage of our place in prayer. And uh, the things we don't know, we get to pray out because the Spirit of God dwells in us. He said, when you don't know what to pray, the Spirit will help us to pray. And so uh, we want to have that. And so I want to jump right in. We began a couple of uh, weeks ago a series that we've entitled Faithful. And God is so faithful. And as we've been talking about the faithfulness of God and how it reflects upon us, Uh, I just want to encourage you, this Thanksgiving week especially, but carry it over into every week. You know, we have marked out places in time, you know, holidays and different things that that just what they should do is magnify what we should be doing all the time. You know, we set a day for Thanksgiving, but we should be thankful every single day. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Uh, We should be thankful every single day. As Christians, we should wake up thankful, right? Uh, because of what Jesus did for us. And so Romans, the first chapter, uh, as he's talking to the Roman church, he, he's really bringing them to the point of really saying, listen, there is stuff going on. And uh, even though what's going on, the people say that they know God. He said that they did know God, but they refused to retain God in their thinking. As we talk about this faithfulness of God, this is one of, something that's very important if we're going to overcome If you are ever going to live by faith, by true faith in God, then you are going to have to meditate on his faithfulness, right? We can say, well, I believe God, but really true faith comes down to the place that I believe God to the point of action. I believe God to the point of trusting him so much to the degree that what I trust him with Now he can begin to trust me with. He's trustworthy, and because I've trusted him, now I become trustworthy, right? And so many times we say that we believe God, but God's not able or he's not at the place where he can put something into our hands and really trust us with it. And the reason is because we don't retain God in our thinking. We hear a message or we, we, we uh, uh, you know, go to church on Sunday, but by Wednesday, we're thinking about everything else that the world has to offer. We've not yet realized many times as believers that the enemy is vying for the front place in our thinking. He's looking for first place, right? He's looking for 
the politics of the day, the coronavirus, to take up the front place in your thinking. He's looking for the person who gave you a dirty look or didn't say the right thing at the right time to you to fill up the front place of your thinking. He's looking for your boss who didn't treat you right to take up the front place of your thinking. He's trying to get where your marriage and, and whatever struggle you're having to take up the front place of your thinking. He's trying to get where whether your teenagers are going living for God or they're going off base to take up the front place of your thinking. All these situations of life, what people do, what they don't do, what situations, and so much of it is beyond your control, but it fills up your thinking. All you can think about all day is the person who offended you. All you can think about is what's going on with your children. All you can think about is the boss that didn't treat you right. And in that, it's very difficult to be faithful to anything. Because all we're thinking about is people that we can't trust. And if you meditate on unfaithfulness, you yourself will become unfaithful. It just causes that because if you can't trust anyone, then why would you do anything for anybody? And so our flesh gets into this mode of saying, how can I be faithful? And, you know, you may stick to it with somebody. You know, you may stay married for a long time, but you don't really like it. You're just staying together to say you accomplished something. That's not true faithfulness. Right? You may stay at a job and hate it all your life just so you can get a retirement or a pension, but you hated it. That's not faithfulness. That's just trying to get out of it what you put in instead of really putting in to grow and, and, and flourish in what you're doing. So the fullness of faithfulness is something that we want to keep in the forefront of our thinking. I want to begin this morning by reading definitions from Webster's of what faithful means. If we can get this down into our hearts, it will help us. Number one, it means a firm adherence to the truth and to the duties of religion. Number two, it means firmly adhering to duty of true fidelity, loyal, true to allegiance, it means constant in performance of duty or service, exact in attending to commands. Number four, observant of comp uh, a compact or treaties, contracts, vows, or other engagements, true to one's word. A government should be faithful to its treaties. It goes on to explain some of that. Number five, it means true, exact, in conformity to the letter and the spirit, as being faithful in executing a will, so you get the letter of what's written, but the spirit of it as well. Number six, true to a marriage covenant. Number seven, comfortable to truth. Santa. It's okay. Don't worry about it. It's all right. Some of the folks needed to be woke up. Means conformable to truth. It means constant, not fickle. Remember, fickle. It means true and worthy of belief. And so as we begin, really again, to talk about faithfulness, we want to cover the things that we were talking about today. But in this understanding, all these definitions of faithful, we also recognize and realize that in Galatians chapter 5, that faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit. True faithfulness is a characteristic and attribute of who God is in all of himself. And true faithfulness is an attribute that comes from your spirit. 
Your flesh does not want to be faithful. Your flesh will do what it can to get what it wants, and it'll stick with it to the very end. I mean, I'm amazed at how people can stick with something until they get what they want, and then when they get what they want, man, their whole their whole countenance, their whole life changes once they get what they want. I've seen people do stuff waiting for a position, and you think, man, they've stayed here, they're ready for a position, they get a position, and they quit working. You're like, wow, what happened there? That was a long time. I thought that they had proven themselves. So you can do a, your flesh will do a lot of things for itself. But God's faithfulness really doesn't demand a lot in return. God is faithful. If we begin to hang around with God and understand his faithfulness and know him, just as we've talked about those parables, you have the parable of the, the, the five talents, the two talent, the one talent. Two of those guys reproduced. Their boss said, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. The one did not. The estimation of the boss changed. The two, man, the boss was wonderful. The last one, he didn't do anything because he said, you're a, you're a hard man, you're a harsh man, and I was afraid of you. Well, what happened? The one who hid his thing and only gave back what he started with did not know the character of the man he was serving. Jesus said, this is like the kingdom of heaven. If you know the Lord that you're serving, you take what he puts in your hands and you do not just what he wants you to do, but faith, truth, faithfulness is you do what he would do with it. Now listen, you can't do what the Lord of the house would do with it unless you know the Lord of the house. See, so many times we want people to put something in our hands so we can do what we want with it, but that's not true faithfulness. True faithfulness is saying, what do you want me to do with it? And either doing that to one level or being present enough to know exactly what the master of the house would do with it and then do with it what he would do with it. But what we know that he doesn't do is bury it and say, here, take back what, just what you started with. And so we said that he really did what he did because he made bad decisions based on bad information about who his boss was and who his Lord was. And so we understand it's a characteristic of God himself. And we understand that it is a produce of the Holy Spirit in our spirit. We love the produce. We love the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, kindness. And then we get to the last couple Faithfulness and self-control. How many of y'all knew those were fruit of the Spirit? See, only three. We think love, joy, and peace, those are fruit of the Spirit. Faithfulness and self-control, you got to be kidding me. But listen, faithfulness and self-control are fruit of the Spirit. They're not works of the flesh. So our flesh can't do it. So how are we ever going to learn to be faithful in the way that God wants us to be faithful? We need to know him, and we need to know his faithfulness. The characteristic of faithfulness has a plan just like everything else. It has such potential to go beyond what our natural thinking goes beyond. It has such potential to produce fruit beyond what we ever thought it would produce. But because we set in our own thoughts and our own ways, many times we end up giving up and quitting too early. And the Bible tells us and warns us actually against it in Galatians chapter 6. It says, do not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season you will reap if you do not quit, you do not faint. In other words, he's warning us. He says, listen, you can do good for a long time in your flesh 
But listen, God stretches it out here for a period of time to see if you will be faithful. So if you can be faithful to this distance, then he can take you further. So we see the father of our faith, Abraham. And the father of our faith, Abraham, he, uh, uh, God came to him. He said you'd have uh, many children. He would have children. He'd have a son. And through that, the nations of the world would be blessed. In other words, we know that Jesus came through uh, the offspring of Abraham. And so God really had a plan for Abraham. He had a plan to save the world. And sometimes we wonder, why does it take so long? Why in the world does it take so If God is faithful, why does it take so long? Well, Abraham got a promise. It wasn't until 25 years later that they had Isaac. But many times we don't understand. We think, what is God waiting for? But God is always waiting for something so that it can be everything God called it to be, everything God ordained for it to be. So you have to read the whole Bible to understand. If you read Genesis, it sounds like God's just waiting. 25 years passes. Abraham uh, decides to take Hagar. They have Ishmael. We all got problems. Why didn't God do something sooner? Why did God allow him to have Ishmael? But you have to read the New Testament. Romans chapter 4 says that it took a long time, and Abraham waited for God, and he had to, instead of getting weak in faith, he had to strengthen himself by giving glory to God and remind himself that God was able to do exactly what God promised him. But it tells us that the reason it took 25 years is because when they began, Sarah could not have a child. But obviously, Abraham could. And so what was God waiting for? Abraham not being able to have a child. So that when Abraham and Sarah could not have a child, he gave them Isaac. God was waiting for the perfect setup because he knew that if Abraham could still have children when Isaac was born and Isaac was growing up to be this big strapping boy, Abraham would have said, look at what I did. Sorry, Sarah, you couldn't have done this without God, but I could have. Come on, that's how we live. God is waiting for us to basically personally become impotent. concerning his promise that we must rest in him god what are you waiting for i'm waiting for you to get to the place where you know you can't take any credit he said i'll I'll perform exactly what i promised well then what are you waiting for god's not slack as we count slackness what's he waiting for why isn't he coming back Because he's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. He's waiting for the last person on earth that can hear and be saved to hear and be saved. Because he loves everybody so much that not one, he desires that that one should perish, but each one should have the opportunity to accept everlasting life. See, we think God is not faithful because he doesn't do it in our timing, but it's not about the faithfulness of God. God's always been faithful. But God wants to do something far greater. He wants to develop something far more on the inside of us. And we see it in Abraham. God gives Abraham Isaac. He gives him a son. And then he says, hey, um, that boy I gave you, he's something, isn't he? Yeah. Look at my boy. Thank you, Jesus, for that boy. He says, "Uh, I just have one request. What is it? I'll dress him however you want to dress him. I'll raise him in church. I'll do whatever you want me to do, God. Thanks for the son. He says, well, just one request. Take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him. Yeah, it got quiet. So we're like, thank you, God. Thank you, God. I'll do whatever you want with it. He goes, go ahead and give it back to me. Oh, wait. No, 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 no. 
So Abraham starts up the mountain. Now, most of us as believers, we get about halfway up the mountain. God, see, I showed up. I'm here. I'm faithful. I went, I went a quarter of the way up the mountain. Some Christians will go halfway up the mountain. Come on, I'm there. I show up. I'm ha- but no, you had to go all the way up the mountain. Not only did he have to go all the way up the mountain, but he had to build an altar, get the wood out. I mean, how would you like to have been Isaac? What are we doing, Dad? Uh, we're building an altar. What do you think is going to happen on the altar? So I'm sure, I mean, I'm just imagining, but I'm sure uh, Isaac helped build his own off- altar of sacrifice. Just think for a moment you probably will have to help build your own altar of sacrifice. So he's putting all the wood together. What are we doing, God? What are we doing, Dad? Well, we're going to sacrifice to God. Oh, cool. (laughs) Not knowing he was the sacrifice. So build the altar. He doesn't step back and go, well, God, we've come this far. We've built the altar. No problem here. What are you going to do? No, he just kept going. Lays Isaac down on the altar, a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which after God gave it to him was actually his reasonable service of worship. Come on. We're just like, wow. From God's mind, I I gave you that son. If I ask for him back, it's only your reasonable service of worship to give him back. So he goes all the way, he raises the knife and the ram in the thicket. You all know the story. What in the world was going on? The Bible tells us what was going on. God says, there's a ram in the thicket. I needed to know that I could trust you. Why? Because I am going to bring salvation to the whole world through you. And he said, now that I know that I can trust you, with your son, your only son, I can give you the world. Anybody here know anyone else who gave his son, his only son? And God says, if you can trust me because I gave you my son, my only son, and give me your world I will give you the world that I've called you to. He's faithful. Every time he's faithful. We're like, thank you, God, for giving me that. I prayed for that. And he says, what, would you give it back to me? That is unreasonable. No, it's just a reasonable. Thank you for saving my life. Will you give your life to me? That is unreasonable to think that I would give you my life well, didn't I give my life for you and forgive you of all your sin and set you free? Yes, but it's a little unreasonable that you would ask for my life. No. But when you come to that altar and you lay down your life, he says, now I've got something for you, and it's not to die, but it's to be raised to a brand new life with hope and strength. So when we begin to know God in this way, it totally should change our perspective should change the thought of falling short, quitting, giving up. should push us to the place where we say, I'll never give up because I know there's a harvest and I'll reap it if I do not quit. One of your couple of scriptures here, we're going to read a lot of scriptures today, so just hang with me. 
try to move through them. But uh, what Alan said, Alan said, you know what? It's the word of God. We're looking for some fancy phrase story, but it's the word of God that has life. And in fact, when he talks about prosperity, John really said this. He said, I pray above all things, above everything else, I pray that you would prosper and be in health. But he put a condition to it. You'll never prosper and be in health if your soul doesn't prosper. The only way your soul can prosper is to immerse yourself in the word of God, right? Where Proverbs chapter 4 says, guard your heart because out of it flow the issues of life. So often we don't even know how to guard our heart. We know that in Philippians 4 it says, don't be anxious for anything, but by prayer, supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. So prayer and giving it to God will guard your heart. But really what he's talking about there is he says, get the word in front of your eyes. Incline your ear to his sayings. Don't let them depart from your mouth. Keep them in the midst of your heart. What's he saying? How does, how does stuff get into your heart? Gets in through your sense gates. What you hear, what you see, what you say, what you touch. We go along every day looking at stuff, not even thinking about it, but it's accessing our heart. We go every day listening to all kinds of stuff saying, I can get by, but it's accessing your heart. We go about every day saying whatever we want to say, whether it's God's word or not, think it's not making a difference, but it's accessing our heart. And then we wonder why the issues of life aren't going well for us, and it's simple. We haven't guarded our heart. And we pray, and we're like, God, I guard my heart. I guard my heart. God, we ask God to guard our heart. God says, well, you guard your heart. We don't pay attention. And sometimes it's different. Sometimes it's different for different people. You'll, listen, you'll watch people and go, wow, they're really good. And they listen to something I've never listened to. But you have to judge your own self. I have to be careful what music I listen to. It's just the way I am. I can't put it on everybody. I know some great ministers. They listen to classic rock from the 70s. I would love to. It just... But if I listen to classic rock from the 70s, I'll end up in the 70s. <laughs> I'll transport to pre-birth. No, I mean, not really. I mean, I lived in the 70s. It'll take me to places I don't want to return. I'm a new man in Christ Jesus. I mean, I'll listen to a song. I can remember sitting in a concert because of that song. I mean, I just got to whoop. It'll take me to a place I don't want to go. Some people listen to music. It doesn't matter. But for me, I have to watch what I listen to. If I listen to it too long, you know, we, we can go on a trip and listen to some road music and stuff, and then I got to get back over. Otherwise, that'll be, that'll be rolling over. It won't be in the forefront of my thinking. Other people say, oh, I'll do that, but it's right in the forefront of the thinking. God tries to push the word there, and they're like, well, man, I got other kinds of music going on. What we have to say every day all of a sudden floods the forefront of our thinking. Guard your heart. Because out of it flow the issues of life. Thank you for your enthusiasm. That's good pastoring and good preaching. Amen. Thank you. Hallelujah. All right. So we're just going to launch off here. We got, I got to get going. All right. Lamentations chapter 3. We've been looking at this easy to read version. This is the easy to read version. I remember well all my troubles and I am very sad. Anybody can identify? When I remember my troubles, I'm very sad. But then I think about this, and I have hope. Listen, if you think of your troubles and get very sad, you need to read this scripture. And then I think about this, and I have hope. We are still alive. 
We are still alive because the Lord's faithful love never ends. Every morning, he shows it in new ways. You are so very true and loyal. I say to myself, oh, Lord is my God, and I trust him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. He is good to those who look for him. We can either look at our trouble and be sad, or we can think about this, that God's love never fails. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Everybody say, God is faithful. Psalms 37, verse 3 out of the Passion Translation says this, keep trusting in the Lord and do what is right in his eyes. Fix your heart on the promises of God and you will be secure, feasting on his faithfulness. Come on, Thanksgiving week, if you don't have a turkey, feast on his faithfulness. If you don't have a ham, feast on his faithfulness. If you do have a ham, feast on his faithfulness. If you do have a turkey, feast on his faithfulness. Get fat on the faithfulness of God. Come on. It's time for us to get fat on the faithfulness of God so we don't question, God, where are you? Why didn't you do something? Where are you? But we're like, God, I know that you're here. You'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. You're always ready and an ever-present help in time of trouble. Feasting on his faithfulness, making God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life. And he will provide for you what you desire the most. Give God the right to direct your life. And as you trust him along the way, you'll find he pulled it off perfectly. Come on, you got to give him the right to be the Lord of your life. And when you do, he'll direct it along the way. And as you wait and follow him, you'll find out he did exactly what was right to do. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 says this, if we are faithless, which most of us in some area of our life or another have been faithless at some point in time. But see, if you don't know the Lord you serve, you think I've been faithless, and so I don't have a chance to ever fulfill what God had. But thank God for Jesus, because he said, when I'm faithless, he remains faithful. He will never deny himself. So let's just feed on his faithfulness for a moment. Amen? All right. The number one attribute of God's faithfulness, we talked about this last week, is he is an ever-present help. Faithfulness. When you're a faithful person, you show up. God shows up. He's ever-present. Help in time of need. He said in Hebrews 13, I'll never leave you and I will never, ever forsake you. I'll do what I said I'm going to do. He's true to his word, as it says. God is always faithful. The second attribute of God's faithfulness is that he never changes. He never, ever changes. Thank God for it. When the world is changing all around us, God never changes. The way he does things might change, but God never changes. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, it says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Even though that they were faithless, they had left the ordinances of God, they had quit tithing. God said, according to everything else, you should be destroyed. But because I'm faithful, even when you're not, I have preserved you to fulfill the plan that I have for you in the earth. James chapter 1, verse 17, it says this in the New King James. It says, every good and every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down 
from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. The Message Bible says it like this, every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. The gifts are rivers of light. Cascading down from the Father of light, there is nothing deceitful in God, nothing two-faced, nothing fickle. One of our definitions in the beginning. To be faithful is not fickle. What does fickle mean? Fickle means to disengage in emotion or to become unattached or to become unattached. It says God is not that way. He is not fickle, right? He, he's, he says every good and every perfect gift, there's no shadow of turning in him. There's no shadow. When we begin to understand what he's talking about, that shadow of turning, you know, Tasha and I went to, to Lake Powell this summer and uh, when we set up, just, it, was, it was like 100 and some degrees, right? So when we got up in the morning, we set up our shade tent, our, our, our place where we were cooking our food, you know, and we knew, okay, we got to set it up this way. We got to put a back on it because the sun's over here and the shade is there. Then we'd go out on the lake and we would come home, and guess what? The shade's not there anymore. The shadow is not there. It turned to a different direction. Why? Because the light coming down moved. The sun moved. The sun, the moon, and the stars moved. Literally, this is what he's saying to the listeners at that time. God is not like the light of the sun, moon, and stars that you get under and all of a sudden it moves and the shadow moves with it. That's not the way God is. There is no shadow of turning with him. So we can come to the 91st Psalm and say, those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And they will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. When we abide under the shadow of the Almighty, when we reside, we take up residence in his presence, he doesn't move and leave us exposed but he's always the same. And when we abide under the shadow, he's always there. That's how we can say he is my shield, my buckler, my rock, my fortress. It's in him that I put my trust. Somebody say that God is faithful. Come on, I like the way the Passion, passion Translation says in 91st Psalm, verse 1, it says, When you sit enthroned under the shadow of Shaddai, you are hidden in the strength of God most high. He is the hope that holds me and the stronghold to shelter me, the only God for me and my great confidence. The Message Bible says it like this. You sit down in the high God's presence. Spend the night in Shaddai's shadow. Say this, God, you are my refuge. I trust in you and I am safe. Come on, the attributes of God's faithfulness, number one, he's always there. Number two, he never changes. Number three, he never quits. He never quits. Psalms 89 says this, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations, to all generations for I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. 
forever and ever. Psalms 100 verse 4 says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. His, his faithfulness to all generations, his truth to all generations, his mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. It'll never stop being. It'll never quit. Psalms 119 verse 89 says this, forever, forever, ever, somebody say forever. Forever, O oh Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. Somebody say God is faithful. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us this. He says, you go ahead and get ready to run your race. But when you run your race, you look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher. Jesus isn't just a good starter, but he finishes. Revelation chapter 1, when he showed up to John, he said, I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning and I am the end. He'll never quit on you. He's there at the beginning. He's there at the end. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8 tells us this, that God's love never fails. God's love never fails. More literally, if you break that word down from the original text, it says this, the love of God never ceases being. See, some people ask and say, Pastor, how come you can say that God won't send anybody to hell or that he will love every person that goes to hell because his love never ceases being? He came to rescue people from that. He didn't come to condemn them to that. He gave them a choice as to where they would end eternity. And because people don't know him, they, they make bad decisions based on bad information. But when, if they knew that the love of God never ceased being, the mistake that they made, God still loves them. His faithfulness endures to all generations. If we'll confess it as sin, disobedience to him, he'll be faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, restore us no matter what the mistake, no matter what the situation, no matter where we are, God is always faithful not only to be present, but to never change his mind, no shadow of turning in him, and he will never, ever ever quit on you. Doesn't matter if other people have quit on you, he'll never quit on you. You have to go without him, he'll never go without you. When you know the faithfulness of God, when you know the power of God, Moses, I mean, God even came to Moses. Most people would say, God, just let me at it. Come on, God. Just, as soon as you give me the word, God, thanks. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Man, I brought these children out. I'm, I'm the leader, man. Let me lead in there. And God said, hey, Moses, it's time. You can go. I'll even send an angel with you. Come on, listen. This is the, to the depth of knowing who you serve. Not just what your position is, not just knowing, hey, I want to serve you, God. You want me to deliver your people? I can do it. Let me do it. Just let me do it. G give me a chance. God said, I'll give you a chance. Go ahead. I'll even send an angel with you. Because Moses knew him. Moses said, I'm not going anywhere unless you go. So he knew the faithfulness of God. He said, I'm not going anywhere unless you go. 
See, if we knew the faithfulness of God, instead of going like, God, let me at it, I'll go, we'd say, I ain't going anywhere unless you go. Because I know you'll never quit on me, you'll never change. You'll take me through to the end. And lastly, attribute of God's faithfulness is to be trustworthy. To be trustworthy. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should repent. Has he said it and will he not do it? Or has he spoken it and will he not make it good? God is so faithful. You know, there was a time in our life, <clears throat> I was just meditating on this, in this this week. I mean, there's been so many things God's been so faithful you know, when we got pregnant with our first child, we miscarried that child. It was a really odd situation for us when we miscarried that child. We were scheduled to do a youth conference, and in the middle of that, uh, just in the process of miscarrying that child, then I had to go minister. I mean, I had a meeting <clears throat> to go to, and I'm in the car just thinking, oh, my God, what is happening to us? What in the world is going on? right out of my heart, it's just the way God speaks to me. God says, I'll be with you right now. So the enemy has stolen something from you right now. You have an opportunity to speak my word into 70 young people's lives and change their life. And he said, you will have children and they'll be healthy and they'll serve me. And though we lost that child, we have two wonderful girls. They're serving God, and I have a grandson, and I have a son-in-law. They're serving God. Somebody say, God's faithful. God's faithful. When something comes into your life and you think, oh, my God, what happened? Can we even go on? God is faithful. If God's faithful, why did that happen? Why do we always ask the unanswerable questions? I can't answer that question, what happened. All I can answer is God was there, he's faithful, and he did exactly what he said he would do, and he always does, and he always will, but he didn't leave us alone, and he never quit on us, and he's still with us today through many circumstances of life, through many tragedies of life, he's still the same, and he's never quit on us. And he's never once lied to us. Never once. We might have misconstrued what he said. We might have gone on the wrong direction. But when clarity came, he never lied to us. He's not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should repent. Listen to Isaiah 54.10. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. The Message Bible says it like this, for even if the mountains walk away and the hills fall to pieces, my love won't walk away from you. <laughs> I love that. Man, this word is better than your responding. My love won't walk away from you. My covenant commitment of peace won't fall apart. The God who has compassion on you says so. If it looks like the whole world is falling apart, God's love will not walk away from you. You can trust him. 2 Timothy, Paul says this, and Paul went through some stuff. 
He said, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he's able to keep what I have committed unto him until that day. Paul declared, God is trustworthy. I'm not ashamed of what I'm going through because I've committed my life to God, and he's able to take care of my life better than I could take care of my own. Romans 8 Verse 31 tells us that if God would give Jesus to die for you, how could we question that he would do anything good for us? If God would give his only son, how would he not with him freely give you all things? God gave Jesus. He's trustworthy with your life. He's trustworthy. So just in closing, Hebrews chapter 12, or Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17 says this, Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful. Everybody say faithful. faithful. Might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for in that himself, he himself has suffered. Being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Here in Hebrews, it talks about Jesus taking up the role of our high priest over and over and over again. Here it calls him a faithful high priest. What was the role of the high priest? The high priest was to represent men to God and God to men. So God had at the very beginning, all the priests came out of the tribe of Levi. Do you know what the word Levi means? To be joined to or to be attached. The high priest was the one that attached God to man and man to God. You know what fickle means? Not attached. God's not fickle. He's faithful. And so we have a faithful high priest. The Bible says that Jesus ever, every single day, every single minute of every single day lives to make intercession for you and I. He lives to stand in the gap for you and I. Whatever you're doing right now, whatever situation you have in life, good, bad, or indifferent, God's not looking at you through your circumstance. God is looking at you through the blood of Jesus Christ who stands and makes intercession for you. And when your life comes up and you have a prayer in the name of Jesus, Jesus is there and he's attached to God and he's attached to you. And he's every bit as much attached to God as he is to you. And he's every bit as attached to you as he is to God. Jesus is attached to God and attached to you, and that's what the cross is all about. Somebody say God is faithful. He's not fickle every single day. When you pray in the name of Jesus, Jesus connects, stands in the gap. He's ever living for you to pray in his name and say, Father, I've got them and I've got you. And so I'm taking your will and I'm attached and pulling that together that your will will be done in their life just as it has been ordained in heaven. And when you have confidence in that faithfulness, it changes how we live. Everyone in Scripture that had confidence in the faithfulness of God. Come on, listen. We read a whole chapter about people by faith. We read the Old Testament. We're looking at all the people, what they accomplished. How did they do that? Well, they had faith in God. They trusted in his faithfulness.
And because they trusted in his faithfulness, they were able to do what he would do. And he entrusted them with something that changed their world. God wants to entrust us with something that will change our world. He wants to empower you with supernatural power. We're always waiting, God, like, when's the power? But God says, I need you to know my faithfulness. Because the ultimate is, will you do what I would do with it? Or if I give it to you, will you do whatever you want? Well, I do what I want only because I don't know what you would do with it. So the more time we spend feeding on his faithfulness, we start to know what he would do. And we begin to say, I'll do it. As we understand that he's always present, he's always present with us. We know wherever we turn, he's there. So we have to begin at some point to look up and say, you're always here. So here am I. Use me. Because we know that he never changes in his character and his attributes. At some point, we quit changing. We come to the place that our life, that fruit of the Spirit, is never changing. It's ever growing and never changing. Our character is stable. Why? Because his character is stable. We never quit because he never quits. We're forever trustworthy because he's trustworthy. Great is your faithfulness, O God. Why don't you stand up? Somebody say, God is faithful. God is faithful. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you today. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that the things that we have read, the things that we have spoken of, have not fallen on hard ground, that immediately and by this afternoon the 